Thank you, Miss Andrew, for that beautiful song. And Brother Redmond, thank you. Well, at this time, just before we get into the message, we want to dismiss our children, ages three through seven, and ushers. Um, we need umbrellas as we, so if, if any extra men could just help the children stay dry. It's a, it's a wet one. The humidity has arrived today in Georgia. I was wondering when it was going to come. It came today. And so um, you can pick up your children at the back of the Aetha building and any guests that are here today, if you have children in our, our time uh, in the children's program, we'd love to walk you over if you're not familiar with our property so that you can be connected with your, your child after the service. Uh, please take your Bibles and uh, let's go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We'll be uh, preaching from there today. And uh, thank you for uh, the encouragement and the prayers. Um, so last Sunday, uh, I, well, I just made sure my notes are all squared away today. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but pray it never happens again. Yeah, it's raining, so um, we, we'll preach till the rain stops. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. No, it's not that long of a message. <laughs> Y'all might be disappointed. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 17, we're looking at, uh, we're looking at the, the Apostle Paul this morning and uh, his, his commitment that he made to the Lord. And we referenced Paul a little bit this morning, I think, in our Sunday school lesson, or maybe I'm just thinking back of a conversation I had, but Saul, later known as Paul, encountered the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and he had a, a magnificent salvation encounter. And from that point forward, although we don't maybe see uh, in specific uh, form where he made a commitment to Christ, you know, not like he raised his right hand and put his left hand on the Bible like we do some people who take an oath. Uh, Paul's life really exemplifies what I think we as Christians ought to embody. We ought to imbibe his attitude and heart when it comes to our commitment, our loyalty to being a disciple of Christ. So if you found Acts chapter 20, we're going to start with verse 17. If you'd stand with me, please, as we read the Bible together. I'll read. You'll follow along. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto me, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save the, Holy, uh, save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Thank you. Please be seated. I uh, just want to pray before 
we get into the message. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this life of Paul that we get to study. Lord, I pray you'd help me just convey the burden that uh, you've put on my heart. Lord, I want to encourage. Uh, Lord, we, we need conviction in this area. But Lord, I pray that we, it, would, it would change us and let us not only just see our, our life differently, but that we would do something about it in the end. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, title of this message, the, commit, the commitment makes the difference. The commitment makes the difference. I also wanted to give it another name, but I felt bad for taking the phrase from an author, from a book we've been reading with the staff. But I also wanted to call this message, everything you have all of the time. Everything you have all of the time, because that's what ministry is. That's what Christianity is. Everything you have all of the time. The military has that mindset. Law enforcement has that mindset. The culture that tries to make a, making money, making themselves popular, uh, building a business, building status, has that mindset. Anyone that's serious about fitness, anyone that's serious about running, anyone that's serious about any endeavor, if they're fully committed, they got skin in the game, they're all in. It's everything they have all of the time. Commitment makes the difference. What is commitment? Webster's Dictionary, Brother Autry, the state or an instance of being obligated or emotionally bound by intense moral pressure. The state or an instance of being obligated or emotionally bound by an intense moral pressure. Commitment. Former governor of Georgia, Zell Miller, describes how his tour in the U.S. Marine Corps taught him the meaning of loyalty. I'm not preaching on loyalty, but I think loyalty would be a good synonym for the kind of commitment we're discussing today, this morning. The governor says it was a driving force in his life to help him endure hardships in training and in combat. It caused him not to compromise and built in him an unbreakable tie to others in his unit, resulting in the unity of a whole outfit of men. The men were committed to each other and committed to a mission. They resolved not to break under pressure. They wouldn't crack under torture. Marines wouldn't just lie down and die because they didn't want to let their buddies down. Paul, the Apostle Paul, when you read, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, I believe Paul had the same mindset. This was a driving force in his life that caused him to stay bound to his commitment to Christ at all cost. Amen. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Paul demonstrates what a difference the commitment makes. Number one, we want to see Paul's mindset. Paul's mindset. Look at uh, verse 24, those opening words. But none of these things move me. You see, Paul, if you've studied the life of Paul, I don't understand how he lived. I mean, not how he lived his day-to-day -day life. I don't know how he got <laughs> what we know because the Lord Jesus Christ. But if there was anyone that was always in the vice grips of death, it seemed to be Paul. Circumstances couldn't move Paul. Paul was best friends with adversity. You don't have to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28, he gives a list 
of events that happened to him. And he's not bragging. If you read the whole chapter, it's more of a rebuttal to people who were questioning maybe his apostleship. And he's just trying to say, listen, I'm not, I'm not bragging, probably even speaking as a fool, but let me tell you what, where I've been. He says, in laborers more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft of the Jews, his own people, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice, that's three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in, journey, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, Jews again, trying to hurt him, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So Paul is saying, not only did all of this happen to me on, from the outside affecting my physical body, he says lastly there, the care and the burden of all the churches weigh heavy on his heart. Daily, he had a burden and a love and a care for God's people. So he was not moved by circumstances. He was best friends with adversity. Paul was also best friends with God. Acts 26, 22. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. How was he able to live life in light of perils, dangers, zero personal comfort? God. He obtained help from God. And then he says, I continue until this day. I continue. You know what he's saying? I want more. I'll do more. I'll let God have full sway to do with my life whatever he wants. The only way Paul could stay committed was because God enabled him to stay encouraged and strengthened through the tough times. Here's, here's what I believe maybe we could say about Paul and how we can find ourselves, we should find ourselves, let me read it and then I'll, maybe I'll comment on, it, on, on what I'm saying. Paul knew he would always be hesitant if he didn't fully commit himself to Christ. Paul knew that he would always be hesitant, he would stutter step if he wasn't fully committed to Christ. You ever, you ever been there? You ever maybe uh, got into a, a commitment and you knew, you're like, oh, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if I should have said yes to this. Um, I don't know if I should have said yes to this eating program that people want, my wife wants me to do because I really, I really don't want to just eat broccoli and celery for the whole day. I don't know. We drag our feet. We, we're not all in, as has been our theme. This was Paul. Paul knew, I think, if I'm not fully committed, I'm just going to be hesitant. Why did Paul have such excitement? Desperation. Times of abounding. Times of being abased. It's because when God moved in, a new life burst forth in his heart. There was all kinds of unforeseen incidents. Meetings with certain people. 
high-ranking people and burdensome cares that he could never imagine came his way. All because in a moment, he made a commitment. And I would say, he kept the commitment. And all of that doesn't seem like something we would want. An incident could be negative or positive. A certain meeting with someone could not be something we look forward to. But Paul embraced it all. He embraced everything that God put him through. So not only could circumstances not move him, but criticisms couldn't move him. Committed people are criticized people. If, if you don't want, if you have trouble with criticism, if we have trouble with that, don't make any commitments and you'll be just fine because you'll be doing nothing. Committed people or criticized people, when you're bound to stand for Christ, you are bound to be a target in someone else's crosshairs. People crumble under this kind of pressure. Listen to what Paul wrote about those who criticized him. This is sad. Um, when, this is in Acts chapter 21. And when seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. He wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he said, at my first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Not only was he criticized, but nobody supported him. Nobody was around him. Nobody stood with him. And in his graciousness, so you see the love in the heart of Paul. He says, may it not be laid to their charge. I think of two other men that said a very similar statement. Stephen and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Listen, it was God that stood by him. It was God that didn't forsake him and it's the same with us. God won't forsake us. God will stand with us when we're right and when we're in truth and we're working for him. Even more than just being his friend, uh, he was delivered out of the mouth of the lion in this incident. incident. And so Paul is seeing the gracious work of God. When you find yourself in adverse conditions or facing criticism on the king's highway, don't look for an exit ramp. Stay committed. Stay in the fight. Secondly, you want to look at Paul's motive. So we saw, we saw Paul's mindset, and he says, in his mindset, none of these things move me. And then he says, neither count I my life dear unto myself. What was Paul's motive? Why did he do what he did? Why did he endure what he endured? I mean, isn't it true that looking out for number one, that's our natural course. That's our natural way of life. We're, we're, we're like water. We want to go the path of least resistance. If you could say someone met resistance in life, it would have been the Apostle Paul. So what motivated him? What was his reason? Others. Paul was motivated because of others. Mark chapter 8, verse 35, these are the words of Jesus. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. I'll read that again, just maybe for me. 
For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. Paul was a man who was losing his life on a regular basis. I don't mean by losing his physical life, but listen to some of the things he wrote to Timothy. I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And then he writes in Philippians, he says, if I be, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy. Joy? Really? Paul, you're going to, you could be killed. And he's rejoicing in the fact that his very life could be lost for Christ. Wow. And then he says in Romans, and this is what I love about Paul. Paul would never admonish you, ask me, ask you. And obviously these are the inspired words of God, but Paul's personality is in here. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Why could Paul write that? Because that's what he did. He lived it losing his life regularly, ready to be offered, ready to be sacrificed. And then I think, I think what you think over people's lives and interactions you have, the silly, petty, minutia that you get, and you and I get bent out of shape over? Really? This man... This man was beaten how many times? Five times, just beaten. Skins busted open. He's been, in fact, he was stoned so bad, they thought he, they thought he was dead. We're not talking pebbles, but more than that, the depth of Paul's love, the fact that he would be forsaken, that he would be beaten, and the very people that he said he would be a curse from Christ for were the very ones who wanted him dead. Wow. Uh, Paul wouldn't be upset if somebody took his pew seat. Paul wouldn't be upset if the preacher asked him to serve in a particular ministry because he was burdened for them. Paul wouldn't get upset if uh, your schedule had to change on a dime because there was a revival service. Paul was motivated because of other people. Paul modeled his life after the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Two verses in the New Testament read these words. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. That's that's of Jesus Christ. And and listen to what Paul writes in in Acts. He says... um, what mean you to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only. It means not to go be arrested or be in prison. He said, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul never walked with Jesus like John and Andrew and Philip. He never got to see Jesus Christ raise anyone from the dead. He wasn't there when Jesus fed the 5,000s. Um, Paul wasn't there when... When uh, Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he, was, he wasn't there. But when, I, when we look at the life of Paul, he knew, he knew Jesus so intimately. And his life was, he did, I don't know if he was, he just mirrored the Lord Jesus Christ. His motive was others, but his motive was to be a Christ-like example. 
He wanted to be like Jesus. He wanted to minister as Jesus did. He wanted to give his life as Jesus did. And why? Why? Because he knew Jesus gave his life for him. He was committed. Paul gave everything he had all of the time. Paul's method of cultivating this motivation was found in the words that we read in in Galatians and in Ephesians. He says, not I, but Christ liveth in me. He says, so how, how can a, a man's motive for others modeling Jesus, how, how can he say these words like this? And, and, and just think of Paul. Think of, think of the, the arrogance that could set in with having the resume that he had. Think of the, the, the uh, he, he could think he's bigger than anybody else, but no, he admonishes us. He says, listen, don't do anything through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's the not I, but Christ life. He says, be affectionately, be, a, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. He says, forbear one another in love. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I'm amazed at the humbleness of Paul. I'm amazed at what he was able to convey to us in our relationships one to another. Remember, Paul was burdened with the churches. He was burdened with the people that he had won to Christ, the churches that he had started and, and, and gotten people assembled together for Christ. Everything he had all the time. Regarding others, I thought of this uh, military illustration. The U.S. Coast Guard and the rescue swimmers and the U.S. Air Force have a motto, or it's part of a larger motto or uh, way of thinking, mantra. It's, the, it's a simple phrase, these things I do that others may live. I think Paul, if we could reinstate this, restate this for Paul, Paul would tell us, live your life so others can see Jesus and live. So what was Paul's method? The work of the Lord came before his personal interest and comfort. The work of the Lord came before his personal interest and comfort. And number three, we see Paul's mission. Paul's mission. And we look at the larger part of verse 24. So that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God, to finish his course with joy. That was, he wanted to finish well. Paul wanted to finish well. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul was able to tell Timothy, my time on earth is coming to an end and I see the finish line. I believe Paul wanted to run further. I believe in himself, he may have recognized, I, I could do this. If, if, with Christ, you know, he's thinking, I, I could, if God would allow me, if God would give me more path to run, I want to run more. Most often, we probably find ourselves seeing more in front of us and not enough time to get down the road further. I believe Paul was a little bit of the inverse. He saw the finish line, but inside, 
He would have ran further. He would have gone further if God would have led him. But he was able to say with confidence, I finished my course. I've kept the faith. He finished well. As I reminded us, when things got hard, Paul didn't look for the exit ramp. He stayed in the fight. Listen, living the Christian life is not for wimps. I was talking with Brother Childs and just talking about the everyday battle as a Christian. Dying to self, humbling self before God, knowing God's big, you're small, God's in charge, I'm not, laying aside pride, it's a battle. If we're not experiencing the battle, then are you even fighting? We're engaged in war every day. Regardless of what you do day to day is how you earn your living. Men, we're in a battle every day. That's why Peter and Paul admonish, uh, uh, they admonish us to stay vigilant while we're engaged in this battle. Paul says, a bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Paul understood, Paul understood successes and Paul understood failure. Paul was, came from a background of high, high religiosity. When you read through Matthew and when you read how Jesus Christ is giving all the woes to the Pharisees, he's telling them, you know, woe for this activity. One of them is, you know, you, you tithe all of these things, but yet you, you, you cheat over here. He says, you ought to, you ought to you don't, you don't give mercy, you don't give grace, you don't have love, but you're so strict in these areas. And he says, you should have done both. And so he would, he would uh, Paul was a very outwardly religious man. He was a very moral man. But he was out to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, why do you persecute me? When you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus Christ. And so Paul was reminded of his past. He didn't live in light of his past, but he was reminded of his past. And even as a, as a man, I'm sure he experienced failure, but Paul was vigilant in how he served the Lord. You know, we, if we fail, obviously we should never plan to fail, but God's not surprised. God will forgive. God can even use our failure as he did in the life of Jonah to see his, to see our, his glory achieved and our good produced. God can see past it and use us for his glory. So Paul was uh, on a mission to finish well. He was on a mission to work. He was on a mission to minister. He says, the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was committed to ministry because his calling came directly from Jesus Christ. Jesus apprehended Paul for his work. Our response must be like Paul's. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was apprehended by Christ. He ran quickly. He was after the prize. That's how he lived his life. And this, this is not a calling to a paid vocational position. 
This is what every Christian is called to do. Every believer, do you know every believer has God's call on their life? Everyone. If, if, um, if there's not one call, it's this one. We are all called by Christ to share the gospel with everyone we can. That is the highest calling. And just to be honest and transparent, when I got into ministry, that was probably not my view. It was a, a, a wrong view because you can pursue a leadership position, a title. If a man is called to be a Sunday school teacher and that's God's call on his life, it carries the same weight, gravity, responsibility as the man who may be called to be the usher of the usher team of Canaan Baptist Church or the pastor of another local New Testament church. Obviously, each job has different responsibilities, but Paul's not talking about ministry in the form of church, pastor. He's talking about a Christian, a believer. He was called as a believer in Christ. Every one of us has God's call on their life. We're going through experiencing God and we're asking questions like this. So what adjustments have you made in your life to be obedient to God? Where is God calling you to serve? What is God calling you to do in regards to his will? And it was helpful to remember from the earlier chapters, the question isn't to ask God, what's your will for my life? Surrender to God's will. Pastors helped me so much with my, my children because I, I would say a statement, well, I want my boys to be called to this, and my girls to be called to this. And pastor would say, pray that they would just be surrendered to Jesus Christ. And that's where you start. Everything else will be revealed to you, to what you should do. Some are maybe running a race. I just encourage you to seek God's will. Some aren't running. You can start by getting into the Bible and finding out God's revealed will for you. Start there. Find out what God's will is and start there. His mission was uh, to finish well, to work, to minister, but his mission was to be faithful to the gospel. Paul was faithful to sharing the gospel. He says, my heart's desire and prayer is to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He had a burden for his own people that they would know God personally. They knew God, but it, it, was, it wasn't in a personal way. They were actually sort of without knowledge. And Paul was burdened for, the, for Jews, for Israel, the same people who wanted him dead. He was burdened for them. How about our people? Who's your people? Who, who would you call your people? These are my people. Uh, sometimes in conversations, you know, um, I think last week I shared with you uh, where I was born and grew up. And so, you know, I could say of the people in Jackson, Paris, Louisiana, those are my people. Or when I, we had a slang when we were really young, we would call them, those are my homeboys. Anybody ever hear that term? I know we don't use that anymore, but that would be someone that is in your neighborhood or your, your town or wherever you live, you know, um, because we're from the same home. At least that's what it meant to me. Um, but who, who are your people? Who's God burdened you about? 
We pray for Newton County. Are you burdened for Newton County? Are you burdened for Newton County? Are you, are you burdened for people that aren't your color? You burdened for people that are from a different country, a different nationality? A lot of people come here from different countries. Are you burdened for them? Um, God is. God wants them saved. God's put Canaan Baptist Church here to hear them to, to, so that they can hear the gospel. We pray for Newton County. I don't know if, how much news you take in, but there are people getting murdered in Newton County. There's trafficking in Newton County. Children are hurt here. And we could list the evils, but God's at work here. Paul wrote in Romans, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. I think it's uh, fun to imagine all of those perils and dangers and adventurous times that Paul would have. But you really get down to who Paul really was in his inner man when you read a verse like that or when you read about how burdened he was for his churches. He had a great love for God. God worked in his deepest heart to give Paul such a burden and heaviness and love for people that I believe that's why he was able to endure the shipwreck being in the deep because when he would close his eyes he would see people he said, man if I don't make it through this I've got a message and if I don't make it through this the message may not get there (laughs) that's what kept him going God did that it wasn't in and of himself God changed Paul from the inside out the same zeal the same drive the same desire to push forward when he was persecuting people God took all of that that was in him and flipped it on its head and said, now his drive, his, his motivation, his method, everything about him was for the gospel. He loved his Lord. He loved people. And that's why we're here. We need a good dose of Paul the apostle. If, if we could put it in a bottle and pass it around and have us drink it, man, but we don't need to. We just need to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ that's already in us. Amen. I don't know where you are in your journey with God and experiencing Him, but what particular purpose has God called you to? What's He dealing with you about this morning? Maybe it's simply just getting to the essence of being a, an Apostle Paul. And I need to be careful here because it stirs me, but this is not an emotional stir. This is not something you work up. This isn't... This isn't a, a hack. It's, not a, it's, it's, it's none of that. It's, it, it's only a work on the inside that God does in our life. I don't, I don't want anyone to think this is a motivational speech. or I, I, My burden is that me and you would be like Paul. And as we're like him, we're in our church and we're following our pastor and we're just we're, we're not grinding it out. We're just serving with joy, but we just see the, we see the need. We, see the, we experience the burden. We have the passion. But I can't work that up, and neither can you. Right. Only Jesus Christ can do that in your heart. And when you stiff arm him, he's, not, he's a gentleman. He's not going to force this on you. Everything you have all of the time 
That's dying to self. That's laying aside self. I mean, we can get motivated and we ought to have fun and we ought to want to, you know, enjoy each other. But I also know my own propensity to get stirred and a current emotion arises. And if you don't cast a vision for yourself and write out a plan, it'll fizzle out about the time you pull away from the parking lot and head down Salem Road. That's about as long as it'll last. That's not Paul. That's not what this is about. This is letting God do a deep work in our heart, surrendering to Jesus Christ. And here's what, here's what you're doing. It's like you're having a blank sheet of paper. You sign your name on the bottom and you hand it over and you say, God, you fill in the details of the contract. I'll go anywhere, anytime, any place. Mine, mine, what, what's, what's mine is already yours, but it's like that phrase you talk about when you get married, you know, people joke about it. What's yours is hers and what's hers is hers. Okay, it's kind of like telling, even though you know God's gave you everything, it's like, God, everything I have, it's yours. You, you do with it as you please. That's, that's Paul. When Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, I'm kind of coming to an end here, he had to take a step. And his first step was discovering himself, and he discovered how awful of a sinner he was. And he discovered as a Pharisee, all of his righteousnesses were as filthy rags. He had nothing, nothing to give, nothing. In a message like this, someone could say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to serve God. No, God doesn't want anything from you. God doesn't expect anything from you. He's already done all the work. Maybe someone here needs to be saved. Maybe someone like Paul needs to realize how sinful they really are, how, how their righteousness, all their good works, does nothing to merit the love of God. He loves you immensely already. None, nothing you do, no, nothing, no good works gives you any merit. Jesus Christ has done it all for you. He's done it all. You, you may have a I'm not sure what people may be thinking, but you may just have a desire to, I just want to serve Christ. I would, I would ask, if you're, not, if you're not following Christ as a disciple now, that's where you need to start. And it may be that your first step is salvation. The Bible says that when Paul met Christ, he realized his, his sinful state. He surrendered to Christ. Christ blinded him. He didn't eat for three days. He didn't see anybody for three days. He met a man named Ananias. And it wasn't long after that he got saved on the road to Damascus that he got baptized and was walking out steps of obedience. Paul didn't get beat with 39 stripes the day after he got saved. Simple steps of obedience. He did exactly what God told him to do. Now God told Ananias how he was going to use Paul, but Paul never knew. Paul, Paul didn't know that in the beginning. So lest, lest you get ahead of God, your salvation needs to be sure. Our sin is a big problem. Our sin's a big problem. It, it damns us to hell. If a person dies without Christ, the Bible says they will, they will pay for their sins in hell forever, for all of eternity. But Jesus is the answer. Sin is the problem. Hell is the consequence, and Jesus is the answer. How, do, how, do, how does a person get saved? You know, when you read Paul, when you read the life of Paul, there's not a, 
a great lengthy prayer. <laughs> really, he says, Lord, what would thou have me to do? I don't know what was going on in Paul's heart. It was probably something very simple like, save me from my sins because I can't do it. I don't want to go to hell for my sins. God will honor a simple prayer such as that. Jesus has paid for your sins. Amen.